So we're carrying on, as uh, Russ said, in our story of Luke. And we're still in Luke 22. Before we uh, get into it on the, uh, on the screen, I'm um, <clears throat> just going to give you an overview of the chapter again because we're zooming in at just a couple of verses today. It's one of the reasons we've taken so long with Luke is in terms of wanting to be thorough and look at every aspect that Luke wants us to understand. So in this chapter, we're kind of building up Uh, We're reaching a crescendo, really, in the whole story of Jesus. We're building up to what actually becomes the turning event in the history of the cosmos. Um, Sometimes we can forget just how significant it is in our appreciation and gratefulness for all that Jesus has done for us. Rightly, we personalize it, uh, but we can also forget just the scale of what's happening. The world, the cosmos, all of the created order is about to be rescued from the power and effects of evil and man's rebellion. And it's happening right here in this story with these people. And we can zoom in and kind of see the people, but miss actually the big story of what's happening. Um, and we're building up to that. The players are coming into place uh, in, around right now in this chapter. And we see that with Judas. So Johnny talked us through Judas um, <clears throat> and how he betrays Jesus. Uh, then you've got the whole thing of them finding the, the donkey going into Jerusalem, then having the supper. Uh, and a communion. Jonathan taught us through that. And then the disciples, just frustrating sometimes, but then you realize they're just like us, start having an argument about who is the greatest, totally missing what's going on, totally missing the importance of what's happening. Um, and then we get the exchange we're going to look at today in terms of uh, Peter. So let's read just these couple of verses uh, from verse 31 in the story. So having had all of that happen, having broken bread, had the communion together, had this argument about who the greatest is, Jesus correct them, we then get this. Um, So Jesus says to Peter, it's called Simon Peter, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I've prayed for you, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny me three times that you know me. And we'll stop there because we're just looking at Peter and looking at this incident. Uh, just to say in the story, it doesn't come through in the English, but in the uh, original language, the word you changes from Peter to the disciples. So Jesus kind of Uh, is saying actually all of the disciples Satan has asked to sift, to test all of you, but I've prayed for you, Peter, and that you can strengthen them. Uh, I'm not really going to develop that because the principles of what's going on, why is Satan doing this, how does all this work, that's what we're going to look at. And and how that kind of plays out with all of the disciples and Peter isn't particularly relevant to that. What happens from here, just to help those of you who might not be so familiar with the story, um, is that we know from the other Gospels, of course, this comes true. That night, Jesus is arrested. The disciples don't know what's going on. There's a lot of fear. Peter is in a courtyard, uh, and an old servant girl comes to him and asks him three times, says, look, you, you're with Jesus. You're one of his followers. I, I know you. I, I know that that's who you are. And Peter denies it and denies it strongly. He doesn't just say, oh, I've, oh yeah, I've been in a few meetings. I've been in a few crowds. Uh, no, he denies it strongly. 
uh, and that happens three times. And in fact, at one point, the language is so strong, it says Peter is swearing. He's not just kind of, no, you've made a mistake. He's in strong denial. So you get Peter here, all this bravado, and, and he's sincere. Lord, I'm, I'm never going to leave you. I'm prepared, to, I'm prepared to die for you. I'm prepared to go to prison for you. And Jesus says, Peter, I'm sorry. Even over the next few hours, you will deny me. What I want us to focus in on, though, and to help us understand, is this rather strange thing for us in verse 31. Satan demanded to have you. What is going on? Good question? I don't know. So the next verse, (coughs) what Luke wants us to understand is this, firstly. He's reminding us, reminding the readers, reminding us through the story, there's another dimension in our life. It's not everything we see and everything we touch. It's not just about the physical universe. It's not just about the things around us. There is a spiritual dimension, and we need to remember that. And we need to remember that in our lives. And in terms of challenges, difficulties, hardship, suffering, pain, pressure at work, family, wherever it comes across, we need to remind ourselves, hang on, it's not just us in this story. It's not just us who are playing this out. There is someone called Satan. We'll talk a little bit more about him um, and what he does in a moment. But suddenly he has entered the story. So early on um, in verse 22, if we can put that verse up, um, you get right at the beginning. This is what Johnny talked to us through. Satan entered Judas Iscariot. So you've got Satan entering Judas and then you've got Satan going to Jesus and asking if he could sift and test the disciples. So Luke is assembling all the characters, telling us what's happening, building up to this big crescendo of the story, but there's another character who's coming right onto the stage. There's another character who's playing his hand. There's another character who is working out what he wants, and that's Satan. And we know from the beginning, right from the beginning of the story, right back in the garden in Genesis, that Satan came and tried to destroy what God has done. And that's what we know about Satan. I'll say a bit more in a moment, but there is an enemy, and now the enemy is coming into the story. And the enemy is coming right into the heart of things. And the enemy wants to use the disciples. And has entered Judas to get Judas to betray Jesus, to get Jesus handed over to the authorities, and hopefully that will be the end of Jesus. That's what Satan knows. I don't know whether Satan knew that Jesus would rise again. I have no idea. The Bible doesn't tell us. It's quite good. The Bible doesn't tell us too much about Satan. Christians can end up talking about him too much. <clears throat> but he doesn't tell us a huge amount. What's clear is that Satan wants to destroy what God is doing in Jesus. And he will use anybody to do that. So he enters Judas and he wants to sift and test the disciples. We need to remind, remind ourselves <clears throat> that in terms of how we live, in terms of following Jesus, in terms of our desires to follow him, be loyal to him, even off the back of Sundays or other kind of occasions where we feel close to God and thinking, God, I really want to make a stand for you this week. Or in this situation, I really want to live different, Lord. I don't want to compromise. I want people to know that you are Lord. I want people to know that there is salvation, that there is hope. And then you find yourself feeling pressure, find yourselves like Peter compromising. You need to know there's another dimension that's going on. It's not just about your desires, your will, and your strength. There is an enemy, and he'll do anything he can to thwart God's purposes. Always has done, always will do. That's clear. There is another dimension. And Christians and the church for years and years can go to two extremes and not get this right. And in this story, I think we get a brilliant perspective of how to handle this. 
We can either go to the perspective of, gosh, there's a devil and demons and evil, and ah, it must be a devil that's causing this, and my boss is the devil incarnate. And I know some of you may think that anyway, regardless, without being super spiritual. But Christians who kind of, you, you can talk and say, oh, I'm going through real hard times at the moment, because that's the enemy. We need to resist him. You go, no, it's just a difficult time at work. Or we can go to the other extreme and totally ignore it and forget about it. And just think, no, it's just down to me, my decisions, my family, my work, and, and I'll just walk through this, and, and God's in charge. Rather than hold both of those things together in tension. And then it can get a mystery. Because you can think, I'm going through a hard time, I'm going through suffering, or I'm going through difficulty, or my prayers aren't being answered. Is this an attack from the devil? Or is this just me not having enough faith? Or is this just God kind of testing me? Or have I just done something wrong and now God's judging me? And all those questions come to us, don't they? Come and help me out here. Don't just sit there listening. This must go on in some of your heads. If any of you have got it clear, sorted, and I would say, no, this one was God, this one was the devil, this one was just normal life, and this one was just a challenge, please come up, take the text, and talk us through it if you're that clear. I think for many of us, it's kind of, hang on, I know this, there's warfare. How do I battle against this? Or am I making too much of it? Do I just need to find some strength and energy and push through? Luke gives us an overview. doesn't answer every question. That's not his purpose. And in fact, nowhere does the Bible do that. It would be wonderful if God kind of gave us a description and said, right, there's an enemy. Here's his job description. Here's what he can do. Here's what he can't do. Uh, here's how it's going to work, and here's how you respond. It would be wonderful if there was a list of principles. But God doesn't communicate like that and hasn't worked like that. The majority of the world learned through stories, and that was true in the time that the Bible was written, and it's still true today, actually. It's mainly in the West where we've been educated to learn through principles and concepts and lists and to reason and argue points. There's nothing wrong with that. But the majority of the world learn through stories, take their truth through the story of what's happened. And so Luke, through writing this story, is actually teaching us some things about warfare, about the fact there's an enemy and his limits. And that's what we're going to look at through this story. And as much as we'd like, come on, Andy, just give me some points. I just want to know how this plays out when I'm at school, college, or work, or how this plays out in my family as I try to follow Jesus. Just give me steps one, two, three, four, five. That's how I like it. The Bible doesn't do that. It gives us stories and shows us in real life, true situations, how God worked, how the enemy worked, and how people responded. That's what Luke is doing. That's what we've got an overview of. So there is another dimension. There is an enemy who wants to destroy all that God is doing. Next, though, just staying on how I've put these two verses next to each other. Luke wants us to understand he doesn't have free reign. He can't do exactly what he likes. How is it he gets to enter Judas but has to ask permission for Peter and the disciples? Good question. Two different things. How come Judas gets it? And Peter gets a request. What's going on? Quite simply, I think it's clear from this, and any reader of that time in the Middle East would have understood it's all about authority and who owns Peter and who owns Jesus. It's as simple as that. For some reason, well, I think the reason's clear, come to it in a moment, Satan has to ask Jesus for permission. Doesn't have to ask permission for Judas. Why not? It's all about who Judas belongs to. 
And it's all about who the disciples belong to. See, if the disciples belong to Jesus, as we'll see in a moment, they're Jesus's. And Jesus is Lord and powerful over everything. And the devil isn't, as we'll go on and sketch out in a moment. So he has to ask permission. Judas isn't with Jesus. Why does it say that? How do we know? How do we know the disciples were fully born again, Christians, done the foundation course, done Alpha and everything else, and were full believers? How do we know? We don't. It doesn't say that. Luke is just accounting, inspired by the Holy Spirit, the story as it happened, and somehow is understanding that Satan just entered Judas but had to come and ask for permission. You get the same thing in the book of Job, for those of you that know that book, which is one of the earliest stories and documents in the Old Testament where, again, one of the points it's making is how God is sovereign over everything. There is an enemy, but he has to ask permission when it comes to what belongs to God. Judas, clearly, his heart, his passion, his desire was, did not belong to Jesus. He had not taken that full faith step of giving himself to Jesus. What we would call today, sometimes unhelpfully, becoming a Christian in terms of that moment, that hadn't happened. Because Satan can just do what he likes. And Satan, as we'll look in some Bible verses in a minute, is the ruler of what happens in the world. That's how the Bible talks about him. So he has remit. He can do that with anyone that belongs to him. We used to belong to him. Paul, I'll back this up with scriptures in a minute, but I'm just trying to give you where we're going, because otherwise we'll stumble over this. I'll back this all up with some verses in a minute. But for Luke, it's easy. Judas still belongs to the world. Judas is still under the rule and reign. So Satan can do what he likes. The other disciples don't. There's been some kind of faith step, some kind of commitment, some kind of change. We were with the world, but now we're with Jesus. Now we're with the Messiah. Earlier in the story, Jesus uh, asked the disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter's one of the first ones to say, you're the Christ. That means Messiah, sent one, promised one. You're the fulfillment of the promises. You're the one we've been waiting for. Christ wasn't Jesus' second name. Do need to remember that. Like Jesus Smith, <laughs> Jesus Christ. wasn't. It's the title. It's his, it, and Peter is saying that he's seen it. And uh, Jesus says to him, look, flesh and blood hasn't made this known to you. This has been revealed to you from heaven. Peter had seen something he'd known. Was that his point of crossing faith? I don't know. It could be. What's clear in this story is Satan has to ask permission for those who are loyal and faithful to Jesus. He doesn't with Judas. And Luke, that's the, that's the point of the story. Luke is communicating truth. For us, with our Western kind of argued reasoning that we've been educated on, we'd like Luke to make a point-by-point case for it. And then we're persuaded, because that's how we've been educated. That's how we persuade. In the East, and 70% of the world are like this, the story gives you the truth. Does that make sense? It's a different way of truth. It's still about truth, and it's not that one's better than the other. It's just a different worldview, just a different way of hearing. So for Luke, he's dealing in truth here. It's straightforward. Satan can enter Judas. He can't Peter. He's got to ask permission. So that's part of what's going on. Who's got the authority? Who's got the ownership? Let's look at some of the verses then in terms of to back this up. Who is Satan? What do we know about Satan? He's not the ultimate ruler or on the same level as God. Some people, and the Bible makes that clear, 
Some Christians can still think that. There's this big battle going on. It's kind of Satan and God. And there's a big wrestle. And it will, although Jesus has had a victory, that won't play out until the end of time. And until then, it's like two people having a wrestling match. I remember watching a very long time ago. I'm not even going to tell you how long ago it was. I was young, so it was a long time ago. Uh, a kind of a video clip of a music track from the States that was kind of acting this kind of thing out. And it had Jesus and the devil in a boxing ring. And they were going round after round. I can't remember who the referee was, but there was a referee. And it kind of was a bit touch and go. And is the devil going to win? And, oh, it looks like Jesus is down. Oh, Jesus gets up. And there's another few slogs. Oh, the devil's down. Oh, no, the devil gets up. Rubbish. And eventually, Jesus knocks the devil out. Then the crowd cheer and the music builds to a crescendo. And it was a big Christian hit. Not that there are many of those. But anyway, it was one of those. Because it's really emotional and really dramatic and, and it's b- rubbish. Because the picture the Bible paints is God is God. And there's no one like him in all his power and glory and might. The devil doesn't contest him. He can oppose him, disagree with him, be against him. But in a moment, God can say enough. In a moment, God can say, it's over, it's finished. In a moment, it's never been a contest, it's never been a battle. It's always only going to end one way. And God doesn't want to end it that way just yet, because he wants to win us back and save and rescue as many people from the prince of the world, who I will get there in a minute, it's all coming out in a different order, who rescue from the prince of the world, the devil, he wants to rescue us before he says, that's enough. Go to where you belong, out of here. And that's where it's going to end. But it's never a contest. God doesn't sit in heaven with the angels thinking, oh, this is really difficult. Look what's happened in Birmingham. Look at all the demons that are working. Look at how Satan is opposing Church Central or opposing you. Gabriel, Michael, what are we going to do? This is an emergency. Let's have a special kind of equivalent of the government COBRA meeting, security meeting. What are we going to do? God's never puzzled or confused by the schemes of the devil. God is huge. And Satan's tiny, powerful, and more powerful than us in our human state, but not once we come to Jesus. And Luke wants us to understand that there's a major player stepping into the story called the devil. He's going to try and engineer and do all that he can to get Jesus dead and hopefully bring an end to God's salvation plan. That's what he's wanting. He'll do anything he can. But Luke, through the story, wants us to know Satan has to ask permission which tells you who's got the real power. It ain't him. It's God. So, John tells us this. Let's get into some Bible verses. How am I doing on time? I feel the devil is opposing me and making me take too long. That was a joke, okay? I don't understand what that clock means. Right, okay. John 14 says this. Jesus is just teaching his disciples on some of these things. I will no longer talk much with you. He's getting them ready for when he's going to leave. He's getting them ready for this moment. For the ruler of this world is coming. Devil's coming. Who's he called? He's called the ruler of this world. Not the ruler of the cosmos. Not the ruler of everything that is created. The world doesn't actually mean something physical. It means the place where we live and all that goes on and everything that makes up the world, all its structures and governments and cultures and languages and relationships. That's the world. It's what the Bible means by the world, not the created planet, but the world, life, everything. The devil rules that. And I love this. He's coming. He's got no claim on me. 
Same language again that Luke is using. I can enter Judas, I've got a claim on him. But the disciples are with Jesus. And if they're with Jesus, I've got no claim on them. I've got to ask. Ephesians, Paul puts it this way, if we can put that one up. Uh, You are dead in the trespasses and sins. This is us. This is who we were before we met Jesus. In which you once walked, following the course of, there's the phrase again, this world. Not a physical planet, but the way the world works in rebellion to God. Following the prince of the power of the air. So that's Satan's domain. Not not literally uh, oxygen and air and everything in it but the one who's reigning over this world, this planet. We followed him. We were dead and we were following. Paul's mixing the pictures here. But we were clearly in his reign. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So we're getting a remit, a clear rule for who the devil is. But he's got no claim on Jesus. So his reign is limited. And there's numbers of other verses. Those are just the two I wanted to give you. But the Bible makes it clear right the way through the story in the Old and the New Testament, God is still in charge. These two are not equal battling it out in a boxing ring. God still rules and reigns. 2 Chronicles 20 says this. And we can put that one up. O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of nations. So God's in heaven. Then you've got the world where the kingdom of nations are. In your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand. So who can withstand God? Come on, guys. God, I've got to sleep on me. I'm doing my best. Who can withstand God? Who's in charge over everything? God is. So the devil's working. He's alive. He's real. He's an enemy. He hates. He wants to destroy everything that God is doing. The Bible teaches that he's been jealous of God. He was possibly uh, an angel who kind of fell or someone who clearly had authority in God's rule before the world was created. That's as much as we know and some of that is speculation. What's clear is he's an enemy. He has a designated area that was given to him when Adam and Eve listened to him at the beginning of the story and said instead of what God says, we'll follow what you say. And that's where authority changed. That's where man, who had been given authority to rule and reign over everything, decided to give some of that authority to Satan. That's how the story makes it clear. Do you have to listen? The devil said to them, is it really? Did God really say that? Oh, I will listen to what you have said. At that moment, he took rule and reign of the world, but not of God. Not of God's purposes, not of what God is doing. And because of God's justice, love and mercy, he didn't just kick him out, wrap the whole thing up because he wanted to rescue us. And that's how this plays out. And it's building to a crescendo now. And the devil is playing his hand. I'll take Judas. I'll see if I can use the disciples. But he has to ask permission. And Luke wants us to know, yeah, Jesus is going to die on a cross. And we're going to get to know that that's not the end. But even in the build-up to this, the devil still has to ask permission. Still has to play out God's way. Proverbs puts it like this. Proverbs 21, which is on the screen. Love this one. The king's heart... The king, a ruler, the powerful man, the most powerful man in the land, is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. In other words, God can direct kings and authorities. God really is in charge. So you've got him in charge of the cosmos, over the whole world, then you've got the devil doing his stuff. But even then, if God wants to direct a king in this world, he can. Even in this world, which the devil is supposedly over, God can still do what he wants. He doesn't have to ask permission. Devil, I know you're the prince of the world. Would you mind terribly, because of course we all think God's an Englishman, 
and a posh one at that, and went to public school. Would you mind terribly if I just directed some things here because I've got a story to play out? A God can do what he likes. He doesn't got to ask anybody. He doesn't have to ask the devil to him. You never find somewhere where God says, um, just approach the devil and ask, Lucifer, dear boy, would you mind terribly if I'd known God's in charge? God does what he likes, when he likes, how he likes. And the devil, in the end, has to answer to that. That's how the Bible paints it. And that, in those few verses, you can see why we're zooming in on this. Even in these few verses in this story, that's the story Luke is writing. The devil, because he's the prince of the air and Judas still belongs to the world, the devil can still be likes with him. The disciples, though, the rest of them, and Peter, who confessed, you're the Christ. I've got to ask permission. I want to attack. I want to do something. We'll come on to that in a minute. We're getting there. Think, okay, Andy, I'm getting this. This is clear. It's really helpful. But why does God give permission? We'll get to that one. But first, Luke is paying, even in these few verses, is letting us see who's really in charge here. So, <clears throat> right, I've done all that. That's good. This is why I don't like notes, because I always do it in a different order. Okay, so what are some of the things that the devil can do then? So God is still in charge. We're still living in the world. We're not under its power now. We're under the rule and reign of Jesus. The devil has no claim on us. But what are some of the things he can do? Just a quick overview before we get back into the story with Peter. Okay, 1 Thessalonians 2. Let's put that one up. I'm keeping the verses in the same order, so you don't need to worry. That's still happening. Okay, since we were torn away from you, this is Paul and his passion and love for the Thessalonians. We were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart. We endeavoured the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face, because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. So the devil can hinder God's purposes and resist us and resist the church and try and stop us doing God's will. It's one of the things that the stories in the Bible makes clear. He'll hinder us and attack us. I don't know what that looks like. Paul doesn't tell us. What do you mean he hindered you? Did your camel break down? (laughs) Were you ill? Paul doesn't tell us here. In another place in Acts, he tells us that God closed the door. I'd like to ask Paul, how could he know the difference? God's closed this door, the devil's hindering us. Now actually the answer is it's all about discernment and prayer and God making his will known. All I want us to see is, yeah, the devil reigns, doesn't have a claim on us, doesn't have free reign over your life and my life, can't do what he likes, can't just jump you, can't just send demons into you like he could with Judas. No, 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 you belong to Jesus. But he can oppose. He can stand in our way. He can thwart what God wants to do. But Paul did get there. He was hindered, but he got there. So he didn't stop God's purposes. He hindered them. The devil tempts us. Paul also writing to the Thessalonians. Again, he's wanting to make them aware of the work of the devil. So next verse. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. And there's lots of verses on this. The devil tempts us, tries to lure us to sin, will lie to us. Some of us battle this, will tell us things like we're not saved or God doesn't love us or we've not been good enough or we've not prayed enough or we've failed God in a big way, or we've committed uh, the unforgivable sin and will make us feel rubbish or lure us into temptation and sexual temptation or anger or jealousy. 
Some of that we're still capable of doing ourselves, but the devil will use that and tempt us. If he can stop you growing in your relationship with Jesus and stop you from knowing Jesus' righteousness, he will. So the devil tempts. The devil says things to us. Uh, Then Ephesians 6, Paul puts it this way. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So the devil attacks and has schemes. He's talking about temptation. He's talking about trying to resist God's work. So Paul, again, this other dimension is real. The devil has schemes. But Paul talks about standing. You don't have to fight. don't have to name or claim anything. You stand in what Jesus has done. Because you're in Jesus now. And the devil has no claim. He has schemes and can tempt and can say things and can resist. But he has no claim. And he has no power over you because you belong to Jesus but God still limits his work with all of that stuff happening for the believer so 1 Corinthians 10 says this no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man God is faithful and he won't let you be tempted beyond your ability it's wonderful so yeah there's no claim on us But God knows the devil is still working because God's living and working in this messed up world where evil is still working, where we can still be weak, but he loves us, is rescuing us, is saving us to display his glory. Come back to that in a minute. That's why he's not ending it all now. But he knows that the devil can give us a hard time. So that God even seems to limit what the devil does when he tempts you. None of us can say, well, the devil made me do it. That verse just stops that. While it was so much pressure... There was so much temptation. It was just, I couldn't, I couldn't help it in the end. The devil made me do it. Now you can't say that because God even limits what the devil will do for us. Hence him having to ask Jesus for permission to test the disciples. This is all building up the picture. Luke somehow knew this. That's why it's in the story. The devil can't do what he wants no matter how much he may hate the redeemed, rescued, righteous people of God and want to destroy us. Peter, in his letter a bit later, says the devil's like a lion prowling around, but he can't harm us. Look what James says in verse 7 of chapter 4. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he runs away. He flees. He's out of there. may take a while. Maybe be a besetting temptation that keeps come to you. may have you in the clutches of fear or anxiety. You may lose sleep, but as you submit yourselves to God, and that's a whole other preach that I really can't go there right now. As you submit, as you give yourself, as you say, God, I'm really worried about this. I'm worried about my children. I'm really worried about this stuff at work. I'm losing sleep. The devil is really getting me anxious, but I'm going to submit this. Give this to you, God. And that's not always in a moment. That's a journey and a prayer we have to keep praying and keep walking through. The devil will resist you. He has to. Why? Because you belong to God. And submitting yourselves to God is letting the devil, as well as yourself, know who you belong to. Hang on, worry, anxiety, lust, anger doesn't have a place here. I belong to God. I'm still living with it. I'm still trying to work it out, but I belong to God. I don't have to jump when the devil says, get angry. I don't have to jump when the devil pokes me and reminds me of stuff that hurt me in the past. I can resist and he will flee. So the devil's out there like an enemy, like a lion, but he can't devour. He's like a lion, but he can't devour. God even limits 
what he does with us and in the church. Helpful? Clear boundaries. Let's be real. Let's get this. Oh, he's on your case, all right. If he can get you to mess up this week, if he can get you to cave in with pressure, if he can get you doubting Jesus, he will. But God limits what he can do, and you belong to God now, and he has no claim on you. Hence, he has to ask for permission. I mean, why doesn't God just whack him on the head and get, get rid of him? Because again, the, the picture the Bible paints, and there's not a clear verse that kind of sums this up. There's hints at it, and there's some verses that Peter writes that we're going to look at in a minute as we head for a finish. How am I doing on time? Not very well. <clears throat> so <laughs> it looked like it was quite good, but those last 15 minutes have just gone very, very quickly. So I don't think the devil controls time and sped the clock up. Um, where was I? Yes. So why doesn't God do that? Well, firstly, like I've said through this, because God wants to rescue us from the work of the enemy. And he does that working in the world and by wanting our free will to worship him and submit ourselves to God. That's how salvation works. Otherwise, God is breaking. It's not salvation. It's not free will. It's not love. It's not us responding to his love with our love and our devotion. So that is how God is working. That's what salvation is, to save us from that as we live, as we follow him, as we work this out. And also because it displays God's glory to the principalities and powers. Paul talks about that in Ephesians, that God's multicolored glory is displayed through the church. Well, in what way? Because we sing our songs? No, football crowds do that. Because we kind of chat and have some friendship? No, people do it in the pub. Because we love Jesus freely and the devil did everything he could to break that and stop that. That's how God displays his glory. That's how God says to the principalities and powers, you came in to destroy this world, you think you rule this world, but look, through these people's free will who are choosing to come to me for forgiveness, choosing to love me, your plan is defeated and God gets the glory. That's why it works this way. So back to our story, back to making this personal for Peter, back to why does God give permission? Peter wrote this much later in his letter. Uh, we looked at this scripture. I remember teaching this at one service when I first came to Birmingham. Um, there's not time to teach it all again now, but it's something very important. So 1 Peter 1 uh, he says this in his letter, years after this incident. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. The, I mean, this is fantastic, guys. If we're a little bit more Pentecostal, there'd be a few more amens in the room. This is one of the verses. I mean, it's just stunning. This is what Jesus has done for you. Who, by God's power, are being guarded. There it all is again. Protection. The devil doesn't have a claim on you. Yeah, there's battle. Yeah, there's suffering trials. Peter's about to say that. But you're being guarded. He's watching. He's protecting. Being guarded through faith. Your faith, you choosing to submit yourself to God, you choosing to believe in this Jesus, Messiah, this Christ, <clears throat> through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though for a little while, 
if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Listen, verse 7 is a verse. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, perishes though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor in the revelation of Jesus Christ. Your faith gets tested. Your faith gets tested by the devil, gets tested by suffering, gets tested by pressure in this world. Your faith gets tested. Why? Because it's more precious than anything else. Because it's by faith you're saved. It's by faith you please God. It's by faith we worship. It's by faith we love and and give devotion. Faith is precious. Back to what I preached a couple of weeks ago at the beginning of the year. I talked about the battle for faith. We can do nothing through faith. Your faith is precious. Your faith counts more than gold. Your simple trusting of Jesus when the devil is tempting or when there's a test or when you're going through seasons and you think, why isn't God answering prayer? Why is the pressure on at work? I hoped I could have avoided this. I didn't think I could cope with more of this. God, what are you doing? I'm allowing your faith to be refined so that more glory, more worship, more love and devotion comes to him. That's why God gives permission. Peter did deny. But Luke tells us, (coughs) the Gospels tell us, when Jesus rose again, when the women came back and said, what had happened? Who was the first one at the tomb? Peter. In John's Gospel, we get a beautiful account of how Jesus walks with Peter along the seashore, cooks him breakfast, and restores him. Peter didn't walk away completely. He denied him in the pressure, but then comes back. And when the Holy Spirit is poured out, who's the first on their feet? Conveying to the world, you crucified the Lord of life. You crucified the Messiah. It's Peter. He came through the test. Pressure came. I'm not with him. Don't count me with him. I'm not one of his disciples. But his faith was tested, refined, purified, to the point that a few weeks later, he's on his feet saying, hey, I'm with him, and you need to be with him because he's the Lord of life. And 3,000 were saved that day. I need to wrap this up. The devil will test, come against you, do what he can. But he doesn't rule, he doesn't reign. He's not got rule and reign over you. No matter what pressure, hardships, difficulties you're living with. Some of you have been living with stuff for years. Some of you, stuff comes for a few days. Your first question should be this. Not, do I resist? How do I fight? What are the promises? No, your first question is this. Submit yourselves to God. God, what are you doing in this right now? And he will make it clear. What are you doing, God? Because God is over all. Not, what's the devil doing? What are the devil escaping? No, God, what are you doing? And God will make it clear. And he'll lead you through that. And he may say, look, I want you to really resist this. I've told you you're going to get that job, or I've told you you're going to see your son come back to know Jesus, or I've told you that I'm going to provide for you. Now fight for it. Because this latest setback is the devil. And it's not my will for you. God will make it. You go to him. You don't start scheming and worrying what's the devil doing. He's not got a hold He can't just do what he likes. He's limited. God is guarding you, protecting you. So go to God. God, what are you doing in this? And sometimes God will be a bit silent. He won't say exactly what he's doing. But he'll come to you and be with you. And he will comfort you as you submit yourself to him. And if it's temptation or a pressure, then you know eventually the devil will flee. But know this. The majority of the time, God is allowing tests to come. He loves your faith. He loves your devotion to him. 
He loves the fact that in a few minutes we will stand and worship to him. And if we mean what we sing, we'll bring love and devotion and say, Lord, I praise you. Whatever's going on in your life in the week. And what happens then, spiritual warfare-wise? The devil has to flee. Because of all his pressure and tests over you, he has lost. Because your faith is being refined and you still sing, Jesus, I love you and you are Lord. Don't fear the devil. Realize there's a battle, that, <coughs> that he's still the prince of the air and he'll do what he can to resist the church. But don't fear him. Rather celebrate and worship Jesus and who he is and everything he has done. And let him strengthen you and strengthen your faith. Amen.